So we're going to pick up in John chapter 17. Half of you are already standing. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, boy, we're, uh, we're creatures of habit, aren't we? Yeah, we can't even wait for the pastor to tell us. We just stand up. Amen. John 17, look with me at verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse 5. The Bible says, These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that the Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life, as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I, which I had with thee before the world was. The title of the sermon this evening is this. The Lord's Prayer. We think of the Lord's Prayer as our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But I would contend that this prayer in John 17 of the Lord is more impactful than even the prayer that was prayed there in the Gospels is the model prayer. I would say that was the model prayer. This is really the Lord's Prayer. Chapter 17 is a prayer Jesus prays with his disciples as they're walking from the upper room there to Gethsemane. What a powerful prayer it is. We're going to look at this prayer in great detail tonight. Lord, I pray tonight you'd help us as we look at your heart here in John 17. I believe this prayer to be your heart. And Lord, at a time when you were under great duress, you prayed this prayer with your disciples. There's so much here we can learn. As we'll see, this prayer was not just for the disciples. This prayer was even for us as your followers and disciples today. And so, Lord God, help us to pay great attention to the prayer. Help us, Lord, to gather from it those things that will make us better. We sure do love you, Lord Jesus. We want to love you more. Lord, I know I want to love you more. I believe each one here does as well. Show us where our lifestyles are such a way that is preventing us from having a deeper love with you. And, Lord, help us to be willing to make those corrections so that our intimate walk with you can be deeper and stronger. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You need to understand the timeline of uh, this, um, uh, this, this passage here. Jesus has uh, just been in the upper room moments ago, breaking bread and passing around the, the, the wine there. And they uh, ate of the bread and of the wine, drank of the wine, symbolizing the broken body and, and uh, the spilled blood of Christ that would soon happen. He's gotten down, he's washed his disciples' feet, including Judas. He's dipped the sop or dipped the bread into the sop and given that to Judas, signifying it would be Judas who would betray him. And then he has sent Judas out of the room uh, to go and betray him. And then uh, he has had quite a bit of conversation. In fact, chapters 15 and 16 happened there in the upper room after he has sent um, uh, Judas away. And then at the end of chapter 16, we see that Jesus decides it's time for them to go and uh, depart. And they do just that. They go and they depart. And now they're walking toward uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives. And in chapter 17, the Lord Jesus prays a prayer that is uh, very powerful to his Father. He prays 
for his disciples. Uh, let me just show you something here. Look with me at John 17. Look toward the end of the chapter. I want to show you uh, something here so you understand what I'm saying here. Look at verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, speaking of the eleven men that were with him, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Who's this prayer for? It's for us. Jesus didn't just pray for these eleven men. This prayer he prayed, Jesus is praying for me and you. This is an important prayer, and oftentimes it's overlooked. Uh, by many a Christian. And as I uh, looked at, analyzed this prayer in preparation for the Bible study, the sermon this evening, boy, the Lord really showed me the heart of the God who came to earth and taught us how to pray. And tonight I want us to look at this in great detail. There's a lot of doctrine in here. In fact, verse number one, I think I could probably extrapolate three sermons just out of verse 1. Uh, look at verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. We could preach a whole sermon entitled, The Hour is Come, and talk about timing and the, t- the Lord's timing and timing. Look at the next phrase there. Glorify thy Son. We're going to talk about this in a moment, but um, we could talk just on that alone, how the, the Son is glorified, that thy Son also may glorify thee. We could preach a whole other sermon about how the Son glorified the Father. But just as I was putting the sermon together, I'm going to tell you what came to mind. You ever sat down with a dense piece of cheesecake and you got two bites in and thought, this is so dense, I can't even put another bite in my mouth. This prayer is dense. It is dense. There's so much doctrine in chapter 17. And I don't feel like we're going to even come close to doing it justice to cover the whole chapter in one message, and I would encourage you, go back and read and study this chapter. Those of you that like to do Bible study, this is a wonderful chapter to study. But I'm going to give you three thoughts this evening about the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to look in great detail about how the Lord prayed for us and what I believe is in this uh, doctrinally that can apply to our lives today. Let's jump in here. Number one, notice Christ's importunity. And that word importunity means many things, but uh, chiefly it means desire, his desire, uh, the Lord's desire. The Lord had a, a desire when he prayed, a passion when he prayed. And as he prayed, he highlighted a handful of things. Look with me at verse 1. And there's a word in here, uh, a, a, a verb in here we're going to look at. It just gets repeated over and over and over again. Verse 1, we're going to read down through verse 8. Let me point this out to you. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. And thou hast, that next word, given. Thou hast given. Notice that word, gave, give, given. It just keeps getting repeated. Thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should, next word, Give eternal life, uh, participate with me here, to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me uh, with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I was manifest. Uh, I have manifest thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou 
gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words that thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst Send me. Um, so that word give, gave, given just keeps getting repeated here. And what has been given? What is the Lord uh, Jesus Christ asking to be given? What is his desire that it should be given? I see four things quickly here uh, by way of the desire that Christ is praying. Notice letter A, the gift of glory. The gift of glory. Uh, look with me back at verse number one. These words spake Jesus unto, uh, uh, these words spake Jesus rather and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also might glorify thee. Look down to verse number four. Verse four. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Uh, verse five. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Look down at verse number 10. Verse number 10. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in thee. How about verse 22? Look, let's skip down all the way down to verse 22. It says there, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, I'm going to talk a lot more about glory when we get into letter B, because letter A and B are strongly, in fact, all four of these, A, B, C, and D, are strongly interconnected. And glory is the pinnacle. It is the end result. In fact, God sent Jesus into the earth so that He could do those things that would bring glory to the Father. And then Jesus is going to make a great sacrifice so that the Father can be glorified. But as a result of that sacrifice, Jesus is saying, glorify me. I've come to glorify you, Father. And in essence, I want you to turn around and glorify me. But it doesn't stop there. He says, I'm going to leave the earth and I'm going to give the glory that you gave to me to the disciples so that they will have the ability to do those things necessary so that others can see you. You see, Jesus came down and worked to bring glory to the Father. And then he took that baton and he's handed it to the disciples. And he says to the disciples, here is the baton. You go out and do those things that bring glory to the Father. And generation after generation after generation takes the baton and hands it to the next generation of believers. And it is our duty to do those things that will bring glory to the Father. So we see the gift of glory. And what is glory? Glory is the end goal of all that's happened. We worship the Lord. We give glory to the Lord. He is glorified. Think about Jesus there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, He went up and took Peter, James, and John. Uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and 
Peter there. And there they are, standing there on that mount. And Elijah and Moses descend. And we see Jesus in a transfigured or a glorified state. And Peter, James, and John are so taken aback. And Peter does what Peter did well. He stuck his foot in his mouth and he said, let's build a temple for all three. Oh, Peter, that was the wrong thing to say, my man. Uh, But uh, uh, Peter meant well, didn't he? And they saw the Lord Jesus in his glorified state. You know what? Uh, we, You and I should not work to receive the glory. We should work to reflect the glory to God. Because you and I are not worthy of glory, but the Lord is worthy of all glory. Amen? Letter A, the gift of glory. Letter B, the gift of power. The gift of power. Look back with me at verse number 2. As thou hast given him Power. Notice the giving, the gift, giving him power, speaking of the Son, over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So, the gift of power. Now, glory and power are interconnected. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. Why is it that men fight so hard to get power? Because with power comes glory. How is it that a man like Donald Trump could climb to the top of the uh, the pyramid of wealth and be very wealthy, but yet still not be satisfied and need to come down the escalators and go through everything he went through in order to become president? Because there is something that men want more than money, and that thing they want more than money is power. Because with power comes glory. And when we grab at power, oftentimes what we're after is glory. Let me show you how the two are interconnected throughout the scriptures here. Turn over to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 6. We're going to do a little Bible study here on this. Glory and power is found, and I'm only giving you a handful of the instances here, but glory and power is found throughout the scriptures as being interconnected, interwoven, interwoven with each other. Look, look with me at what we know is the model prayer, Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation, but delivers from evil. Look here for thine God, the father, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You see how power and glory are connected. All right, uh, let's keep going. Turn to chapter 9 and look at verse 8. Chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse 8. Here Jesus heals someone who is sick of the palsy. They're, uh, they're, uh, he, he not only heals them of the palsy, He also heals them of their sin. But when the multitude, verse 8 says, when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. So Jesus uses his power to heal this man. And what happens upon this great display of power, people glorify. They glorify God. You see here, the display of power brings about a glorifying, a glorifying power and glory 
are interconnected. How about chapter 24 and verse 30? And again, there's several instances even here in the book of Matthew where this concept of power and glory are interconnected. But for sake of time, we'll skip over to chapter 24 and we'll look at verse 30. The Bible says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the man, uh, Son of Man, coming in the clouds of heaven with what church? Power and power and great glory. You see there again how someone who's powerful has an opportunity for others to worship and show glory. Look with me at Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Matthew chapter twenty-eight and verse number. 18. Oh man, this here is rich. This is just going to keep building as we go through these subpoints. Matthew 28, look at verse 18. Jesus is getting ready to ascend into the heavens. And we get Matthew's account here. Right as he's getting ready to ascend, we find the great commission as it's been called. Verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them saying, All, what is it here? Power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power is given unto the Lord Jesus. Now, here's how power works. We have a world that is full of people clamoring for, grasping at, uh, graveling over power. Well, where does power come from? All power comes from God. He is all-powerful. That means the power that you have belongs to Him. When we think of the word omnipotent or all-powerful, we think of God being so big and strong that uh, the old song says, My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do for you. And that's what we think of when we think of omnipotent. But there's so much more to that word than just that God's some big, strong uh, uh, force in the universe. All power... All power, including the power that you have, comes from the Lord. The power you had to rise out of bed this morning is uh, owned by the Lord. The power that you exercise or authority you exercise at home or at work uh, or uh, within some institution, that belongs to the Lord. You steward that power and it comes from God. And one day you are going to give an account to God on how you use that power. To the husbands in the room this evening, God's given you power within that marriage. You are to be the leader of that marriage. You're not to use that power to bring yourself glory. You're to use that power to bring God glory. Uh, Those of you who are a boss or a manager at work, you are not to use that power to bring yourself praise and glory. You're to use that power to bring God glory because power and glory are interconnected, interconnected connected. You can either use that power to bring praise to yourself, or you can use that power to bring praise and honor and glory to the Lord. Jesus was sent down to earth, and He was least power from God, His Father in heaven. All power, He said, is given unto Me in heaven and in earth. He says, I'm going to give you power. Now, what are we to use that power for? Go back to John 17. John 17, and we find not only the gift of glory and the gift of power, but letter C, we see the gift of eternal life. The gift of eternal life. Look with me at verse number two. 
As thou hast given him power, we see glory in verse 1, uh, power in verse 2. As thou hast given him uh, power over all flesh, speaking of the Son of Man, uh, that he should give what? Eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Uh, so uh, look down at verse 3. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, which thou hast sent. So watch how this works. God gives us power so that we can bring God glory. How is it that we use our power to give God glory? By helping people find their way to eternal life. There is no greater way to give glory to God than to find someone who is lost in their sin and lead them to a point where they give their heart to Christ. I watched this very truth take place this past Sunday at our church. For about two months, I met with our drama team on Sunday evenings before our service. And we worked on the lines. We, we practiced on how to act. And, and I don't really know what I'm doing, but I worked with them. And Miss Joy Magnarella helped me. We worked with them. And they, worked, they went home and they worked hard to memorize their lines. While I was back there working with the, the drama team on their lines, there was a choir in here practicing. And then before and after church, there were soloists and ensembles that were practicing. And every time that we met... The choir met, the drama team met. Every time there was a prayer that was prayed, it sounded something like this. Help us to do this with our might and strength so that souls will be saved on the 17th of December. And I walked behind the curtain with that drama team. And Pastor Andrew met with the choir uh, um, uh, this, the, the, the day before. And we prayed that God would help us to sing with our might and power so that he would get glory and people would be saved. And on Sunday morning, uh, everything uh, went on in here. And the gospel sermon was preached. God gave me the might to stand up here and preach the Bible. And we had a handful of people bow their head and give their heart to trust Christ. Amen? God has given you strength. How are you using that strength? There's nothing wrong with you taking the, the, the strength and might that you have and using it to make money. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with you taking the muscle in your bicep and swinging a hammer to fix a, a problem in your home or to turn a wrench to fix a problem in your home. There's nothing wrong with you using the power of your mind in order to help conquer humanitarian needs and conquer problems. But at the end of the day, the greatest thing we do with our power, the greatest thing we do with the gift of our strength is bring glory and honor to the Lord by bringing people to the point of eternal life. Jesus said, I came down here and I was given all power and I came down here to bring glory to the Father by dying on the cross so that the world could have eternal life. Turn over to Acts chapter 14. Let me show you these uh, things, these truths connected and yet another passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 14 and verse number 37. I'm sorry, chapter 13, wrong chapter, chapter 13 and verse 47. I, don't, I think that's even what your bulletin says. That's my, my typo there. Acts 13, look at verse 47. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad 
and glorified the Word of God. Well, what is the Word of God? Paul tells us the Word of God. Again, we're in um, Acts chapter 13, verse 48. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. That's power. So we see glory, power, and salvation here in these two verses. Look here again, verse 40. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, the power of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. You see how that worked? God's power through his word uh, brought people to a place of glorifying God and they gave their heart to salvation. Christ's importunity, Christ's great desire, his desire is that he would bring glory to the Lord, the the God the Father would bring glory to him, and that he would use his power to bring people to eternal life. Letter D, we see the gift of eternal work. Go back to John 17 and verse number 4. John 17 and verse number 4. Look there with me. The Bible says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have Finished the work which thou gavest me to do. What was that work? That work was for him to go and die on the cross. Now, had Jesus died on the cross yet? He had not, but in his mind, his fate was sealed. He knew there was no turning back. He knew that his days on this earth, in the, in the form that he was, were very numbered. He knew in just a short, within 24 hours, he'd be nailed to a cross. He knew that. And he knew there was no turning back. He knew that that work was settled. You know, I I love when someone gets this sort of a determination that Jesus had. You know, I haven't done it yet, but I I know what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it. Uh, You you can say, well, Pastor Lejeune, uh, where are you going to be on Sunday morning? I'm going to be in church on Sunday morning. It's as as though I've already done it because I'm that determined that I'm going to do it. Pastor Lejeune, where are you going to be in 2025? Uh, We're getting ready to enter 2024. Where are you going to be in 2025? I'm going to be pastoring White Oak Baptist Church in 2025. Unless the Lord God clubs me over the head and takes me home to heaven or clubs me over the head and moves me elsewhere. I'm determined that this is who I'm going to be and I'm going to be a man of character and I'm going to move forward because the Lord has called me to an eternal work. He has gifted me the power to do it. He's uh, given me the call to go forth and shed light for the Lord and I'm going to shine my light so that others can see that good work. Uh, How about, um, uh, let's see here, how about John chapter 19 and verse 30. We see here the gift of an eternal work. Uh, Jesus said, I've been called to a work that's already been done. Did he get the work done? I'd say he did. John 19, we find Jesus nailed to the cross. And the very last thing he said before he passed, we find in verse 30. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said what? It is finished. And then he gave up the ghost. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. That word uh, in the Greek is tetelestai. That word tetelestai can be translated one of two ways, paid in full or it is finished. You know what he did? He finished his work. He finished his work. You know, I just happen to believe that when God put me in my mother's womb, he put me in her womb with a, a, an eternal work and a job he had for me to do. And uh, the moment I was born on this earth, God already had that entire plan laid out for me. You see, it's not the Lord's job to get on my page with my plans. It's my job to get on His page with His plans. And when I cross the finish line one day, 
And I stand before my Father and I look Him in the eyes. I want to hear, you got it done. I had an eternal work for you. You were faithful. Not perfect, but you were faithful. And you got it done. Are you, are you there where you want the eternal work of the Father that He's given you, assigned you at birth? Are, are you working to get that done in each and every day? You see, I, I uh, remember when I graduated high school, we were asked for a, a favorite quote. Uh, that we wanted to, to go down inside the program of, of our graduation. There's a, a boy in my class, I believe he was born in Nigeria, but his name was New Porlor. New Porlor was my best friend in high school. And the quote that New Porlor picked, he said, uh, I've never seen, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You know what he was saying? You don't get to take any of it with you. You don't. You have to leave it all behind. Now, oftentimes our attention and effort are on things that just really don't matter. That house you live in, it's going to get passed on to someone else. Those retirement funds that you're building and the wealth that you're trying to accrue, that's going to get split up amongst your kids and they probably won't even value it like you did because they didn't earn it. They'll blow it on a new car or a boat or watch. Maybe you teach them to be responsible and it gets passed down in a way that's more responsible, but you don't get to take it with you. But you know what you do get to take with you into heaven? The eternal work that you accomplished with the power God gave you. You get to bring glory to the Lord. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 says this. I'll just quote the verse 4. You don't have to turn over there. Jesus says, in fact, we're going to look at it a little bit later in the Bible study here. But he says, let your light so shine before man that they may see your good works and do what? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, you use the power that he gave you to do those good works so that your Father can be glorified in heaven. Do the works that you do bring glory and honor? Are, are you seeking to build your own kingdom? I see teenagers, and I was this way when I was a teenager. In fact, I'm, I'm even this way sometimes now when I'm being silly. But I'll see a teenager beat his chest and say, Who's the man? Ah, I'm the man. You know who the man is? Not you. You know who the woman is? Not you. You know it's not about me. I think about John the Baptist. He said in chapter 3, verse 30, he said, speaking of Jesus, He must increase, but I must decrease. More of Jesus, less of me. More of Jesus, less of me. May I use my strength to bring Him honor and glory. Number one, Christ's desire, importunity. Number two, Christ's intercession. Then He turns and He begins to not only talk about what's been given, He begins to turn and pray over these eleven men who are huddled with Him or standing with Him as these walking toward the... Um, uh, the, the place of his arrest. And uh, let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Notice letter A. Uh, he, Christ's intercession. He prays for our protection. Our protection. Look down at verse number 9 of John chapter number 17. We'll read down through verse 15. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou, which thou hast given me. For they are thine. And all mine are thine, 
and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, that these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them, or shield them, or protect them from the evil. Jesus here, standing over these disciples, has acted as their shield in the face of an evil world. He's protected them the way a parent would protect a small child. And here Jesus stands with these 11 men where shortly before he'll be arrested. And he says to the Father, he says, I'm getting ready to come up there and be with you. He said, I pray that you'd keep them safe. I'm not asking that you keep them from the world or take them out of this world. I'm asking that you protect them from the evil of this world. I'm sending them out as sheep Amongst the wolves, look after them, protect them. Boy, there's so much good that's in this passage. Look back with me at verse 9. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. I, I bet when Jesus ascended to heaven and he sat at the right hand of the Father, I bet as he watched and looked down and and saw the work that those 11 men that he had personally trained did, I'm sure it put a a giant smile on our Savior's face. I I know that uh, there are times where, uh, well, I'll I'll just share one instance, and and, uh, not to overuse my children here, but I took Matthew out door hanging some months ago, and and I came around the corner. We were over near where Miss Margaret Best lives, over on the other side of Stratford, and uh, there's some uh, two-story apartment buildings there. I came around the corner, and... Matthew was witnessing to a lady there, leading her to Christ. And I stood where I could hear him, but where he could not see me. And I just listened as my son walked this lady through the gospel and led her to receive Christ as a Savior. It put a big smile on my face. It did. I I remember the first time I led someone to the Lord, how excited I was, but how much more excited my father was. And I bet, I, I'm sure that as the, the, Jesus sat in heaven next to His Father, that He looked down on the disciples and He saw the work they were doing to use the power that He had handed them. And, 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 and they're, they're doing those things that brought glory and honor. There Peter's preaching at Pentecost. He's preaching and 3,000 people are getting saved. And then just a chapter or two later there in Acts 4, he's preaching and 5,000 people get saved. There goes Paul 
off to preach and churches are getting started. Revivals are taking place. There He is in Ephesus. He's teaching and, and people are getting excited about the Gospel and, and, and people are going out and starting churches and Jesus is sitting there saying, I trained them. I tell you, they're mine. I trained them. Look, uh, look, look, Father, look what they're doing. They're getting it done. And you know what? That has been passed down generation to generation. And here we are, all these generations later, taking the baton and doing the same work. Disciples of Christ, bringing glory and honor to the Father because He's the one that's worthy. And we get to pass that baton down to the next generation all the way until Jesus comes back. Let her be our purification. Look with me at verse 16. He says this, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You know what that means? That they is you, Christian. That they is me. You know what? I'm not, I am not of this world. What does that mean? Oh, I was born on this world and I'm a member of the human population. But let me tell you what this means. This means I am not to be of this world's systems. You are not to be of this world's systems. I grew up in a, in a church youth group around other teenagers who were just as infatuated with the top ten hit list with music and the top ten movie list and going to see the latest movies and uh, into this artist and into that artist and into this fad and uh, wearing these clothes because this was in and not wearing this anymore, doing your hair this way, doing your hair that way. Listen, I don't think you need to uh, be totally out of step with culture, but let me just remind you, you, you're not to be of this world's systems because Satan is the prince and power of the air. My friend, uh, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. One day, I'm going to kick, uh, uh, kick uh, the bucket here and I'm going to walk through the gate of heaven and I'm going to be home with my family. This world's not my home. And listen, we're not to act like we're of this world. In fact, the Bible calls us to be a peculiar people. That doesn't mean you look like a dork. That doesn't mean you walk around with your pants up high and talking out of your nose. Amen? I think you need to be uh, relevant enough to where you can lead people to Christ. But it also means that you are to stand out and not live like they do. Not be infatuated with sin. Look at verse 17. Maybe one of the most famous verses in the New Testament for churchgoers. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. How is it we go from being a citizen of this earth and planet? We've been saved. Now we're going to act like a citizen of heaven. We get in the in the Word. We get in truth. God's Word washes us. It sanctifies us. Sanctify them by Thy truth. The more of God's truth that I understand, the more cleaned up and purified I am. 18. As Thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they might also they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And so we see again here that this prayer is not just 
for the disciples. Our purification. Listen, uh, as you look back over your Christian life, over the last six months, year, two years, are you growing in the Lord? Are there sinful habits that are falling off? Is there this natural uh, uh, leaning away, this distaste? Um, uh, a few weeks ago, I went out and I bought a box of my favorite childhood cereal. Let me, let me see here. Okay, we've got a few more minutes. I bought a box of my favorite childhood cereal. My favorite childhood cereal was Golden Grahams. Any Golden Graham fans in the room this evening? And I was so excited to get this box of Golden Grahams. And I thought, I'm going to hide this from everyone else. And I'm going to eat these. Just me. You know, midnight snack type thing. And, and so I cracked open that box. I hadn't had Golden Grahams in years. I cracked open that box of Golden Grahams. And I poured it there in the bowl. And I got the milk in there. And I put that first big scoop of Golden Grahams in my mouth. And you know what I thought? I don't like this anymore. You know what? As I've gotten older, my taste buds have changed. I can remember sitting in college, no lie, I would get a big serving bowl and I would eat half a box of Golden Grahams at once. And I couldn't get enough of that stuff. Golden Graham Cinnamon Toast Crunch, man. Just bring it on. Mix the two together. Even better. Amen? And I love that stuff. But as I've gotten older, my taste buds have changed. Watch this. As you mature in the Lord, your spiritual taste buds should change. And that music that you enjoyed, that you know is glorifying sex, self, and sin, should begin to drop off because now I'm not of this world. I'm of the Lord. I don't want to listen to music that, that shames the name of the Lord by artists who hate the name of the Lord. No, I want to listen to music that pleases the Lord. I don't have to have a preacher tell me to stop listening to that music. I, I, I don't have a taste for that anymore. And you know what? I, when I sit down and put a movie on, you know, most I'm, I'm speaking for myself here. I don't like watching movies anymore because most Christian movies are just flat lame. And 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 and, and then the world's movies are 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 so filthy and they're filled with agendas that are wicked and they use language that's wrong and they have bedroom scenes in them. There's no place in my heart for those things. I've grown in the Lord. I've lost my taste for that. Just like I'm not going to buy another box of Golden Grahams. I don't want any more of what the world has to offer because as I grow in the Lord, boy, that heart begins to be purified. Letter C, we see our perfection. Look down at verse number 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them. Thou and me, that they may be made perfect, perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me as thou hast loved, loved them as thou hast loved me. Wow, that's amazing. The world should look at you and say this, their life brings glory to the name of God. Your co-workers, they should walk up to you and say, Manny, man, something's different about you, bro. You're not like everybody else. Jasmine, what, how come, how, I, I can't put my finger on it, but something's different about you. You know, Nate, you don't talk like the rest of us. What, what's going on with this? 
I go around the room, each person here, those who are closest to you should say, there, there's something that's just different about the way you live your life. I want that. And you know what? That comes because you reach a place of spiritual maturity. Watch this now. Spiritually mature Christians get along with other Christians. They know how to handle conflict with grace. You know this? Confrontation is often necessary. But confrontation should always be done with the spirit of grace, spirit of meekness, and a spirit of prayer. And you know what you get? You get oneness in Christ. You show me a church that fights with each other, I'll show you a carnal church that doesn't walk with God and a bunch of immature Christians. You show me a church that knows how to handle conflict and offenses with grace and care and can heal and can emotionally move past that, I'll show you a church that's perfect or mature in the Lord. Christ intercedes and says, I'm getting ready to leave. Help my disciples to love each other and get along. Number three, lastly, we see Christ's insight. Look at verse 24. We can see the Lord, the Lord Jesus seeing the end and back to where He is. Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given Me be with Me where I am, that they may glorify, uh, that they may behold My glory, which Thou hast given Me, for Thou lovest Me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is imagining a time where He's in heaven with all of His disciples. He's in His glorified state with the Father, and, and, and the Father and the Son are worshiping, or rather everyone is worshiping the Lord Jesus in His glorified state. Look at verse 25, and you can almost hear the heaviness of voice of our Savior. O righteous Father, the world hath not known Thee, but I have known Thee, and these have known that Thou hast sent Me. And I have declared unto them Thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith Thou hast loved Me may be in them, and I in them. He's saying here, I looked through a day where we're all gathered together in heaven and they're worshiping me and they're worshiping you. And I can't wait for that day to come. I'll say this to you. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven and start worshiping the Father and start worshiping the Son. God's given you power. He's given you strength. Are you using it for an eternal work? To bring people to eternal life? To bring people to glorify the Lord? Or are using it for an earthly work that accomplishes earthly life to bring glory to your name? I think it's an important thing that all of us need to look deep down inside and ask God how we're using the power that He's given us. Lord God, I pray tonight that You'd help us, show us, guide us. Spirit of God, prick our hearts. Lord, I am a sinful man I don't deserve anybody to worship me or glorify me. Lord, you alone are worthy of glory. Lord, help me to live my life that way. May we each point others to you. May we keep our eyes locked on that eternal work of eternal life. May we use our power... To glorify the Father in heaven. Oh Lord God, please show us where we can grow. Lord God, convict us. 
Lord God, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for your attention tonight. I hope the Bible study sermon is, uh, gives you plenty to think about. As I said, John 17 is a rich, rich, rich passage. We could honestly spend a year just in that chapter, preaching it, teaching it. I hope you'll go home and study it. I hope you'll dive into it and uh, let God grow you because of it. All right? Have a Merry Christmas. Enjoy the rest of your uh, week. And uh, we'll see you in the next church service.